Everybody, welcome to the Raintown Riot podcast. Uh, we are here with Matt Raymer, Bobby Lloyd, and Thomas Mayfield. I'm going to give you another episode of some sports knowledge. And Thomas Mayfield is going to open up here. Full slate of new topics this week. Uh, the, the national championship last night was a game for the ages. We're going to cover the NFL draft as, long, as well as the NBA playoff race. What I want to start with today, though... It was another personal story regarding Bob Show, my roommate. So Sunday night, I get to bed early. I have work early Monday morning. And uh, I'm just trying to enjoy my sleep. Middle of the night, I wake up to some female screams. Now, Raintown, nice. these, these were not screams of terror in any, any way. These were screams of, of uh, gratisfaction and enjoyment, Raintown. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I was, I, part of me was impressed, (laughs) but then the other part of me was like, I just got the worst sleep I've had in years. Yeah. Shut the hell up. Yeah. So I go to sleep hearing this. And again, I wake up at five in the morning hearing this clamor and it, and it intensified. So, I mean, I hope you all are impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Bobby is all embarrassed. I hope my mom isn't listening to this podcast. (laughs) So, I'm, I mean, I'm a little upset. I'm thinking, do I want to interrupt this ruckus because I need my sleep, you know? But then I think, do I really want to break our bro code? And I think, do I really want my face on a meme? And do I want to be trending on, on Twitter the way our boy D'Angelo Russell was for breaking his own bro code this week? And I'm proud to say that I didn't, and uh, Bobby and I have kept our bro code. But to start with D'Angelo here, what is his deal here? Can, can he repair the trust with his teammates? How, are, how is he going to get back on track? Is this just what he's known for now? Well, let's break down. Let's tell the listeners exactly what happened. So D'Angelo Russell and Nick Young are teammates on Los Angeles Lakers. And Nick Young is engaged to Iggy Azalea, the pop star. And they were in the locker room just messing around, and DeAndre Russell starts questioning Nick Young about some different girls, different females he's talking to, and what happened in a nightclub one night and stuff like that. And meanwhile, DeAndre Russell's recording the conversation on his cell phone, and Nick Young has no idea. So Nick Young says some things that obviously he didn't want other people to hear, and that video got exposed to the media, and now... Everybody see it. Iggy Azalea saw it. She's furious at Nick Young, and it looks like that relationship's over. So it looked like Nick, it looked like D'Angelo Russell completely destroyed the relationship for Nick Young, Iggy Azalea. So that's the broco Thomas is talking about. And Bobby, get your thoughts on it. Well, in in my opinion, this reminds me of a certain uh, one of my one of my friends, one of, a guy I used to know in high school. Uh, would would come after some of the other guys' girlfriends and try to spread rumors about what they were doing, what was going on with them. And uh, at least in my personal life, I can't 
ever see myself trusting that guy again or wanting him around me. I mean, this is a, this is a different situation because they're in a professional setting where you just kind of have to deal with people. But I feel like we're talking about something that like supersedes sports. We're, we're talking about a, a cultural thing where you don't want to like ev- everyone in their life has, has experienced this type of person. And, and it kind of depends like what you're looking at. One, one aspect I have to think is like the guy's 19 could have definitely just made a mistake and I mean, part of me thinks he has a bad sense of humor, and act, made a mistake, made a, uh, an act, and accidentally leaves. Another part of me looks like he's baiting Nick Young into trying to say this stuff, and like I'm not sure what his motive is. Like, why why is he trying to screw over Nick Young? What what's the idea? Well, DeAndre Russell's saying that he has no idea how the video got leaked, so he's not he did not try to do this on purpose, try to destroy this stuff, do anything like this. However, it's kind of strange on his cell phone. How does this video get out there? Like, well, I mean, what's he taking the video for? Just so he can watch it by himself? Like, he obviously showed it to somebody. It makes no like, yeah, that he part was there. Make yeah. sense. So, so, if you are a teammate of Russell's, what is your reaction to this? Not necessarily if you're Nick Young, but if you're one of his fellow teammates, are you upset with him? Are you just like, this is one of these things we have to get through? It's just some adversity we have to work through? Um... Well, I mean, it's kind of hard to to trust him. I mean, is it just like this is a business, and we got to do this? So for this season, I think it's going to have a big impact. You've heard the stories where DeAndre Russell goes and sits at a table, eat, and not one teammate will go and sit by him. Yeah, he's being frozen out. He's being allegedly. frozen out of the locker room. Teammates move away from him. Move away from. Him. So it's allegedly it's really bad. So if I believe for this season, it's going to be really bad. And the Lakers season's already over anyway. They're in second worst. Um, overall record in the NBA right now. And so this season is going to be dumb. But however, I feel like winning will cure everything. Say next year, he ends up playing great. They're going to have a whole assortment of new players next year. That culture is going to constantly change. Kobe Bryant's going to be gone. And Nick Young is not going to be the face of the Lakers. The Lakers are going to choose DeAndre Russell over Nick Young any day. So Nick Young will be gone. And I feel like Russell has a chance to build back okay. that relationship with new players. Okay, so so a couple problems with what you just said. First thing, Nick Young is an untradeable player. Like, he's played terrible since he got his big contract in Los Angeles. He's been getting paid $7 million a year to be a below-average six-man gunner. Uh, one of the worst teams in the league. He's going to be on the Lakers for two more years unless they unless they cut him using the stretch provi- stretch provision, which might might be the best if, if the situation is so toxic and it's not allowing one of their young developing stars to grow. Then yeah, they might have to cut Nick Young, which makes that would be crazy because imagine imagine the reaction from that. Like first, D'Angelo Russell messes up Nick Young's. Uh, romantic life and then he messes up his professional life right after that there's really not a lot of teams lining up to sign this guy once he's cut like this is his last contract he's he's a goofball he's an inefficient inefficient gunner and i i think i saw a statistic that he's the least winning player in the league like the player that has won the least percentage of his games over his career this statistic out there that says that I mean, this is such a bizarre story, something I don't think we've ever heard anything quite like this before. So it's interesting uh, how to see the Lakers moving on from this. It's also interesting that all the ramifications keep coming down on Jazza Russell and all of this. However, 
I haven't really seen nearly the amount of backlash on Nick Young for actually doing the wrong thing, right? Nick Young is the one that did the cheating. He's the one that's doing this. And D'Angelo Russell is getting all the backlash. From a sports sense, that makes sense, right? Because you're messing up the sports culture. You're affecting the Lakers. But from a morality standpoint, it's yeah. a little strange. So I posed, I posed this question to Bobby the other day. All of us, for all our listeners out there, we have better conversations when we're off the air. But just Bobby's going to re- reiterate what he said. I posed the question, what's worse, uh, playing a joke on your friend by recording him or cheating on your fiancé? And I think Bobby had an interesting take on it. Take. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a fresh take. Fresh take, new look. I can't even remember what our last conversation <laughs> was. Here we go. Um I mean these basketball players, they all they all cheat on their wives, right? Like that that's something that happens. We got uh Kobe Bryant's wife doesn't even get mad at him when she when he cheats on her. She just she just doesn't want the media to find out about it. She just doesn't want it in pictures. Andre Karolenko's wife would let him sleep with any woman that he wanted on his birthday. And like be knowing of it, Lou Williams, another Laker, was dating two women at the same time who were also dating each other. So this guy's just having like threesomes all the time with these two ridiculously hot girls. So I mean, we're we're looking at the situation. There's actually where, a rap song over. Yeah, having that type of relationship. <laughs> so ba- so basketball players in general. I mean, this I think this kind of thing is expected from them. Like they That's stereotyping a lot of basketball players. And I think they've earned that stereotype. <laughs> I think, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to throw them all under the same umbrella and say that it happens every time. I know uh, Steph Curry takes his wife with him on all their road trips, and I think, I think that's extremely admirable. But, um, I mean, my aunt was a, a dancer for the Dallas Pistons, for, for the freaking Detroit Pistons. Sorry. That, that's my team. I can't even think right now. Yeah, she was a dancer for the Detroit Pistons, and she told me that these guys were – take home new women every night they got they got guys going through the audience picking out girls to go party with them after the game they're all sleeping with each other's wives i mean granted this is the 80s but i I think this has been the culture of basketball for a long time so we're not really looking at i don't think we're i just don't think we're surprised when nick when we hear nick young is cheating on his wife you know i i I think that's expected what what we're surprised by is d'angelo russell's action and his and his motivation for doing this type of thing. Breaking the bro code. Okay, folks, we're gonna go to break right now. We will be back with some Waggy P on, was caught on the NCAA uh, championship. All right, so back on this D'Angelo Russell topic with the bro code and pretty much selling his teammate Nick Young out. My thing when we start stereotyping these NBA players and their girlfriends and everything is that Iggy Azalea is not your prototypical girlfriend. She is a much, much, much bigger star than Nick Young and is much more famous. And so I feel like in situations like this, it actually is surprising on some accounts. Okay. So this this makes, makes me interested to a certain point. Like I feel these basketball players – I'm surprised when they want to date someone who's higher profile than them. And I feel like it might end up having negative repercussions on their career and their their performance. It seems like these guys, I mean, I'm kind of stealing this take from Jalen Rose. I heard him talk about it, and I kind of agree with him on it. 
that when you uh, you don't want you don't want your woman to be a bigger star than you. It doesn't like Nick Young is a big star. People love that guy. He's he's hilarious. One of the bigger personalities in the game, and uh, his there's there's multiple examples of these NBA players performing poorly after they've dated these high profile pop stars, whatever it is. Whether it be like James Harden was having a tough time with the Kardashian girl earlier this year. Chris Humphreys, Lamar Odom. Lamar Odom. Have all Kardashians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> all Kardashian all Karda- Andre Drummond, had, when he was uh, underperformed the year when he was dating Jeanette McCurdy, who was some type of Disney star, some kind of show like that. I mean, good-looking girl, but there's just, there's just so many beautiful girls out there that aren't big stars, and I feel like having two people that are in the spotlight all the time in a relationship might make things a lot more complicated than if you're just... Yeah. I mean, that's I a whole nother... Issue, I feel like, right? right? One yeah. thing, one thing in the crosshair, like Tony Parker was dating Eva Longoria, who, Ooh, she's gorgeous. She's, Tony Parker's a bigger star than Nick Young is. Eva Longoria probably equal to Iggy Azalea and and their type of crowd. And what, she's what's voted the Max hottest woman alive. Tony Parker's still sleeping around, still hooking up with other people, and Eva Longoria ended up breaking up with him. And did we ever even hear backlash from about Parker? Not much. I mean, it has did a, he get caught cheating on her? Was that yeah, the reason? Yes, that's and, what I heard. I mean, yeah, yeah. that ruined their marriage. And do we even care? <laughs> no, it's been over for a while now. Yeah, but what I remember when it it came out, and I don't think anyone. It's yeah, that's a good a, point. It's not a big deal, I think. Yeah, so the it's, fact that this was D'Angelo Russell selling out his team and I don't, in the sports setting totally is what brought this to headlines. So so say we got like remember Tiger Woods caddy when when the whole thing is going down with him and Tiger Woods situation is way worse than Nick Young's situation. Nick Young is like trying to keep things on the DL, trying to have a good relationship. I mean, at least keep things with his girlfriend where where they're good with each other, you know. But he's also I mean, sleeping around, but Tiger Woods has got like what hundreds of high-profile prostitutes that he's sleeping with all the time. This whole thing goes down, and Tiger Woods' caddy has his back the whole time. Just no, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. Nothing. I haven't heard anything like that. I don't. I've never seen anything like that. And news reports keep coming out. This girl slept with Tiger Woods. This girl was with Tiger Woods this weekend. They have pictures together the whole time, and his caddy knew everything and had his back. And then is what? It, so what? Honestly, do you feel? D'Angelo Russell's motivation was. What do you think he was trying to do? According to him, he was trying to play a prank. He was using it as a prank, but it was a very awful prank. It was supposed to just stay between them and maybe a couple of their close friends. Uh huh. And so, watching his apology, watching everything else, it makes me feel that that was his intentions. He is a 19-year-old kid who could definitely make some bad mistakes, and maybe he showed the wrong person and just leaked. Yeah, yeah, I mean, TMZ probably gave whoever leaked that some pretty good money. Right. It right, gives you right. a pop star. Just to point out real quick, Tiger Woods' caddy is in the uh, Best Friends Hall of Fame, along with, like, Barry Bonds' trainer and a few select others. That's just... that's just, And you for not knocking on my door yeah, the other night. Yeah, and, and me. me and me. <laughs> but anyway... Even though Tiger Woods' caddy now talks a lot of shish crap about him, so... Well, he had his yeah. back, though. I guess he's out. He's out. But uh, I've had women all over the world. But uh, it seemed as though D'Angelo maybe was just 
entertained by Nick Young's stories. Like he thought it was kind of funny. He thought he thought this was kind of ridiculous. Like what this guy was doing, and he maybe want to share this with a friend of his or something. Like this ridiculous behavior of Nick Young and one of his boys that he sent the video to sold him out. It's plausible. Yeah. In the bottom of my heart, I feel like that's honestly what happened. I don't feel like he was trying to go after Iggy or he was trying to ruin his his, uh, friend's relationship. I think he just immature, didn't really understand the implications of his actions and doesn't really understand how much of a draw that type of video would be. Maybe, I mean, maybe not. I haven't been 19 for seven years now. So I feel like I've learned quite a bit, quite a few lessons since then. Like maybe I would have made that mistake when I was a kid, but he made the mistake and now he's got to pay for it. And uh, I think he's going, I think he's going to pay for it. Like this is one of those things where this will follow him the rest of his career. This will, this will be something that you hear about when you hear about D'Angelo Russell. Cause Matt, Matt was saying winning cures everything. I think it might be a little while before the Lakers win anything. Like they are about the worst team in the league. Just they're up there. And I feel like this is this is something that's going to continue and be on be on his uh, stat sheet for a while now. Yeah, summing up, random. I mean, Russell made a mistake, and he's going to have to pay the price moving forward. And it's a very interesting morality and topic. But we'll take a break right here. We'll come back with some NCAA action from last night's incredible game. Continue, Thomas. These two teams dominated the whole tournament. I guess it's no surprise that they ended up in the final. Neither one really had a that close of a game really until uh, until this magnificent final game that we saw last night. Raintown is going to break it down how the. Uh, the game finished up last night. Yeah, what a game. This game was incredible. Arguably one of the best national title games of all time. It was back and forth the whole game. And so breaking down really the last 10 seconds of the game, uh, North Carolina was down by three. Marcus Page gets the ball. It's a pump fake. The defender kind of goes for it, but Page jumps in the air, double clutches, and hits a three. That was quite incredible. It was an acrobatic shot. And it ties the game. Jay Wright calls a timeout for Villanova. 4.7 seconds left. And Villanova inbounds the ball. And they bring the ball up. They pass it to Chris Jenkins. And he hits a three as time expires. And it was just a miraculous shot, miraculous play. Villanova looked so composed the entire way down the floor. And it was one of the greatest games ever for NCAA tournament history. And I don't think anybody's arguing with that. It's got to be up there. I want to. I want to tell my story while I was watching this game. So I, I had a run and bet on the game with Thomas about uh, Thomas and our friend John, and it was like if Villanova wins the game, I have to buy their dinners, right? If I if North Carolina wins the game, they have to buy my dinner plus all the drinks that I have. So every time it starts to look like Carolina is is going to pull away, I order another drink. <laughs> <laughs> and then, so the end of the game, they hit that game-winning three, and they're like, "No, don't!" But I mean, Mark, Marcus Page hits the game-tying three, right? 
And it just seems like a miracle. They just came back from 10 points. I feel like the game is going into overtime. North Carolina is definitely going to win. I go, I run to the bar and buy like an, another eight, $9 drink, something like this. And then I'm like so ecstatic. I'm, I'm, I'm drinking a big old shitty grin on my face. Like I just love this. And then my heart breaks like it's made out of glass. It was hit by a freaking hammer, man. Like dropped into my stomach. But, I mean, I got to hand it to Villanova. Incredible game, incredible time. I think they dominated most of the second half. Broke my heart, though. They played great. And my wallet. A lot (laughs) lot of great storylines on this game. One being uh, there was actually a close relationship between a Villanova player and Carolina player, Chris Jenkins, who actually hit the game-winning shot on Villanova and his stepbrother Britt Britt yeah his uh, last name's Britt uh, was, uh, was a North Carolina player so they they actually uh, met up in the final with each other they, they had been living with each other since they were 10 years old and pretty what's rem- the age difference are they the same age I think they're both juniors they're both juniors wow and, uh, and obviously a very close relationship between the two and just remarkable to be in on that stage and for Jenkins to hit that shot. Another another crazy story is that Villanova had no All-Americans on this team, and that was the first time that has happened since 1985. A champion has had no All-Americans, and the winner in 1985 was Villanova. So some very interesting things happened with uh, Villanova's victory. It surprised me that Josh Hart isn't an All-American. Josh Hart's kind of the heart and soul of that team. He plays great the whole tournament, and he really has willed them at a lot of points this whole season. And then going around with uh, Ryan Arkidakano, who won the turn- the Final Four MVP. Mop. Oh, did he? Yeah. He Most outstanding okay. player, yeah. Yeah, he won the mop. And most outstanding player, and he's the one that passes to Jenkins um, in the final seconds. Drove the ball up the court, looked very composed, and he's a senior. And what a heck of a way to go out! Did Did you see the replay of him? Like like his mouth movements right after right after they win the game. He's just running down the court saying. Fuck yeah, let's go! <laughs> <laughs> it reminded me of uh, Raintown. Reminded me of the Raintown riot. <laughs> exactly okay, what he would have done in that situation. I, I enjoyed coming into work today because Villanova is a little uh, not not quite as well known as as some of these other schools. And I mean, at my job, not everyone is a is a college basketball fan. And people were asking, or people were saying, oh, I, I heard v- Villanueva won last night. <laughs> being, being here in Albuquerque, we're using the double L as a Y, but that, that, was, that was fun to hear today. It's funny you bring up the celebration, because if you saw Jay Wright, the head coach of Villanova, maybe the most incredible lack of celebration I've ever seen in my life. So Jenkins hits the game-winning shot, and Jay Wright literally is... No emotion, no affection, doesn't raise his arms. All he does is literally makes like a military 90-degree turn, goes and shakes Roy Williams' hand. It was so stunning to me to have no reaction. 
and no emotional. Obviously, he was emotional. After the game, he was very emotional to reporters and all that. But in the spur of the moment, to have a game-winning shot, and you finally win a national title, and you don't even push your arms it up. It looked like he's like, froze up or something. Like he's just stone, stone-faced, stonewall, no emotion. I mean, I have no idea. It's, it's super funny watching, uh, who was it, Kenny Smith and Charles Barkley, their reactions. and like, I mean, granted, Charles Barkley probably won a couple hundred thousand dollars or something on that game. <laughs> it's a gambling machine. But, but watching, watching his reaction in comparison to the head coach who's got his heart and soul invested in that win. Yeah, well, I thought it was remarkable. Yeah. By the way, I think uh, we were very fortunate as sports fans. The two Final Four games were both blowouts. They were both non-competitive, pretty boring in some sense. I mean, the Oklahoma game was over right, right away. It seemed like the beginning of the second half. And then uh, North Carolina Syracuse, the same thing. So I think we were really fortunate to get one of the best games ever for the finals game. Well, we've been fortunate in the last like couple of years with these national championships. Like, yeah. like thinking about... Last year we had Duke uh, winning a close one against Wisconsin. Yeah. Um, Freshmen were seniors last year. Yeah, um, and Tyus Jones hitting a late shot, and then the previous year the Shabazz Napier team for Connecticut came down to the wire against the loaded freshman team of Kentucky. Yeah. So I mean, this yeah. just goes to show this tournament is, I mean, arguably as we all know, one of the greatest things in sports. It. Really hasn't really hasn't disappointed. Well, the reaction all over the country for this tournament is incredible. Like my girlfriend, who doesn't know anything about sports, still fills out a bracket because she still has a chance. It's ridiculous. She plays fifth out of like fifteen people, and she doesn't even know sports. Oh God, I quit watching my bracket. Totally busted. I had Michigan State to the championship. Your bracket was rough. Kentucky winning the championship, I think. Yeah, just a tough, tough bracket. Yeah. Well, it's impossible. That's why Warren Buffett last year put a billion dollars <laughs> on the person that has a perfect bracket. Yeah. And after the first, or I think it was the second day, midway through the second day, there wasn't there was like 0.01% perfect brackets left in this year's NCAA tournament. And by the end of the first weekend, there was zero. So it yeah. just shows that, that literally no, nobody had a perfect Sweet 16. Impossible. Totally, but I want to I want to take a moment here because thinking about those two brothers growing up playing basketball against each other and then meeting in the uh, national championship game, it reminds me of. So I want I want to do a little one of our signature teammate flashbacks. Thomas, why don't you tell the story about competitive complexions? So competitive complexions, that's a great story that involves Rangtown here. Back in high school, Rangtown and I, seniors in English class. Myself, very good at English, Rangtown, little iffy. I got a uh, higher grade than he did. I don't know about that, but anyway, we are grading each other's quizzes. We switched papers. It was like a vocabulary quiz. There's 20 vocabulary words and like four extra credit items. We grade each other's. I get every vocab word correct and miss all the extra credit. Rametown, I'm grading his paper, does the exact opposite thing. I missed all 20? All 20, but you got all the extra credit. You got all the extra credit, which was like off-the-wall stuff that you would never know. Anyway, he draws a 100% on my paper with frowny faces and the zero (laughs) signs. And I'm asking him, I mean, he's, he's not happy about that. We were competing for the highest grade in the class somehow. I mean, if 
if anyone out there listening knows Raintown, he's one to spell. I'll go to the mall. A L L go to the mall. This was a long okay. time ago. A- anyway, I still get crap for it. Anyway, Matt feels out papers. Yeah. F E E L. When he when he needs to do paperwork, he feels them out. Feels them out. Anyway, after like texture. after the uh, after the quiz, Raintown comes up to me and says, "Man, you and I just I'm so competitive with you in in this class. We just have a competitive complexion." And that's become a part of our vocabulary ever since, competitive complexions. And it makes me think, these two guys growing up together, I know Matt and I both grew up with brothers, and I, I think that having somebody that's that type of athlete and that type of competitor with you at your house, when you're, when you're at school, being your, being your best friend, but also somebody that you're really comparing yourself up against, it probably fueled these young, yeah, these young guys to get to the point where they're at today. Would you agree with that type of sentiment, Matt? First of all, that's the first story you think of on this is pretty remarkable. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I completely agree with that. I mean, me and my brother, when we played, I was extremely competitive. He was older than me. I never won. I got my butt kicked constantly, but it made me tougher, made me better. And even just with all the friends, we were always so competitive with each other that you never wanted to lose. And having another fellow brother in your household that obviously is a great player, too, I imagine their backyard basketball games were great. I would go to middle school every day and just think. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be paying any attention to what's going on in class. I'm thinking, I got to beat Matt at football today. I don't care what happens. I'm going to figure out a way to beat his team. <laughs> and it never happened. <laughs> it usually happened. It never happened. I was 5'11". He was 4'11". <laughs> and my competitive drove me to greatness. <laughs> He's a great athlete, but I, I just thought it was an interesting point that uh, growing, growing up in that type of atmosphere could definitely inspire you and drive you to become great like these two young men. That's good. Good job, Bobby. <laughs> That's the story. Back on. All right. So back with the Rametown Riot here. We are going to start with some NFL draft coverage. And the NFL draft is honestly one of my – favorite things of the sports year. I am a big nerd when it comes to that. I study the hell out of it. I think it's so intriguing. It's so in-depth. There's so many players. And it's different than other drafts because you don't necessarily draft. You draft for need. You draft for best available player. It's very interesting. And so this year's draft, the 2016 NFL draft class, is really prominent on defensive linemen this year. This is one of the deepest defensive line drafts in recent memory. And the DNs, D tackles, there's a lot of potential day one starters or at least rotation players that have an impact on the league all in the first round. We're talking five to eight players. So what, so what I've heard is that uh, there's so much talent at defensive line this year that you may be able to pick up first round talent on maybe the third and fourth round even. Like, like third or fourth round it might be a stretch, but second round for sure. Yeah, so it's just extremely deep at defense. Very line. deep class, and it's interesting to see how teams draft this year. Are they gonna be like, all right, we'll let's wait till the second round to get a D lineman, so we'll get a quality player still then, and go up and get a different position to need, like receiver for instance. Receiver, there is not that much depth, and there's not star potential, not tons of star potential, and. So what, what do teams do here? 
Or do you go and just take the best player? Like Joey Bosa, in my opinion, and Tom McShay. A lot of, I'm not the only person who thinks this. Joey Bosa is the best player in this draft. This is what I was going to ask you. I was going to say, what is the disparity between the defensive linemen that are at the very top and kind of the rest of the pack that's going to fall between late first round to early third round? Well, I think Joey Bosa is head and heels better than a lot of some of these other players. I think the overall quality of his total game, run defender, pass defender, versatility, so many different aspects make him great. Three down player, great. Whereas somewhere you get farther down, I mean, other first round, Shaq Lawson, he's going to be a great player at Clemson. He led the nation in tackles for loss this year. You have Kevin Dodd, the other guy on the same D line for Clemson, is going to be another first round pick. But those are more pass rushing guys. Break down the Robert Nedikamichi. <laughs> Robert Nedikamichi. All right, he's the most, arguably the most intriguing player in this draft because coming into this year, he was, if Mel Kuyper, I guarantee you, and Tom McShay, the ESPN draft analysis, would have bet $1,000, they would say for sure he's a top five pick. Hands down, no questions asked. Physically, he is explosive, he's powerful, he's dominant in some games. Like Alabama game, dominant. Completely uh-huh. looks like the best player in the field. However, there's some games his motor's not as good. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that's knocking him right now is that he was at a party um, during the season, in between before the bowl game, and hasn't really quite come out whether he was just on alcohol or there was drugs involved as well. We, most likely there was drugs involved as well. And he fell off a balcony, actually. So this is pretty serious, right? I mean, he was obviously really messed up to fall off a balcony. And luckily he wasn't injured significantly, so that was huge. However, it did he did get caught with illegal substances and breaking a lot of team violations, so did not play in the bowl Illegal game. substances or just alcohol? See, the, I believe there's legal substances. Wow. But not the, I don't believe those big ones have come out. Um, and also, the what happens? he got suspended for the bowl game. So his stock is hurting based on his person, how he is as a person, how he cares himself. And also, which is really interesting, is... His brother, I guess, is an extremely bad influence on him. He has completely cut ties off from his brother. Older brother. Older, I believe it's older. I'm not positive. Uh-huh. For the foreseeable future. And I think that's very interesting. He's mature enough to cut ties from his brother if that's actually happening or not. But NFL teams are questioning the heck out of this because, I mean, they probably grew up in a tough environment and all this happened, but his older brother is such a bad influence on him. So it's an interesting dynamic – if you're a team looking at the uh, end of the first round, do you take this guy with the top five talent despite the fact that he has all these questions? Do you, do you take that type of risk, especially in a year where there's so many talented defensive linemen? How far could he slide? Uh, if you're a team that's drafting from 16 to 32 and your team takes uh, takes him, what uh, what's your feelings on that? Honestly, I would not be upset. I think he has potential to be a star in this league. So I would not be upset for it just because of his potential. And the fact that if he is truly cutting ties and he wants a better life and he has the right mentor status, he has good stability in his first couple years in the NFL from the team perspective and his family and everything around him, I think he has potential to blossom, be a great player, one of the best players in this draft. But he also could slide in the second round. I mean, it's really interesting. You think of Randy Gregory last year, right? Yeah. If he didn't have those marijuana problems, he would have gone to top 10. He had the marijuana problems, falls in the second round. It's very interesting. I mean, the NFL draft, there's so many players. There's so many players that 
one little thing can drop you quite quite a ways. That just shows how also how dominant Kamichi can be if he's still going to. I think he's still going to be drafted in the first round. And if he has these problems and he still will be that way, it shows how dominant of a player he could be. So speaking of marijuana and speaking of Joey Bosa, there is some history there between uh, Bosa's marijuana use. And as I've seen, Bosa's projected to go maybe third or fourth. All the way up to first. I mean, he's anywhere from first to five. I'm a 49ers fan. If he falls to seven, I want him to draft Bosa. Okay. Okay. Um... Is the, so I guess this marijuana issue for him really isn't. Effect, it's in, It's not affecting him. It's in the past. It's not. No one's bringing it up really at all. I mean, none of the owners think it's a big deal. I think it's just in the past and it's missed little things. It's nothing substantial, which is an interesting case. There's nothing with fall. There's nothing with uh, falling off a balcony, anything like that. <laughs> no, I mean, nothing, anything like that. No family history that I that we know of, and. Yeah, it's interesting. Also, I think the big question probably a lot of people are going to worry about is the quarterbacks, right? What quarterbacks are going in the first round? How is this going to affect? You have very quarterback-needy teams such as the Cleveland Browns at number two. Very interesting. The San Francisco 49ers now at number seven um, with the Colin Kaepernick trade to the Denver Broncos. Is that going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Um and then you have like the St. Louis Rams at 15. So there's a lot, there's many teams in the first round that need quarterback issues. So the top two quarterbacks that are clearly above the rest, according to most scouts and everybody, is uh, Jared Goff from Cal and the South Dakota State um, product, Carson Wentz. So Carson Wentz played at uh, Division II school, Division, he won two national, two national titles. He's kind of like a Joe Flacco. He's a big, strong, athletic guy with a great arm, but he doesn't have the competition. And then you have Jared Goff played at Cal, who's he's like 6'2", 215. So he's a decent size, but they call him a little small. He has small hands. But hand size is a huge deal in the NFL for a lot of scouts to be able to grip the football. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? Do you take the guy that has better measurables and looks great? And has honestly has good tape, but it's just against less competition. Or Jared Goff who has a great arm, has shown great poise in the pocket. Um, so it's a very interesting. So blend. What, what do you think about this hand size critique? Do you, th- do you think that's a fair uh, measurement to be judging these quarterbacks on? Because it would seem to me, I'm not sure about some certain players' hands, but it would seem to me like I've, I've heard Alex Smith get a lot of flack for this, and it never seemed to be a problem with him. He takes care of the football. Uh, doesn't turn it over. Arm strength I, I, is his seems to be his main limiting factor in the NFL. I mean, there are smaller guys that have been very successful. Uh, Drew Brees is one of the best quarterbacks of all time. Russell Wilson's one of the best young quarterbacks in the game. I don't imagine these guys have monstrous hands. They're bigger really sure. than what the recording is. Uh-huh. And uh, the thing with small hands is really just securing the football. You don't uh-huh. have to hold the po- football as much grip as you can. Larger the hands, more grip you have on the football. And with weather conditions, if it's wet, if it's rainy, you're going to hold the football. And then a lot of it, they say you get a better spiral with a bigger hand. Just what, they, what it is. But however, Ryan Tannehill was supposed to have really small hands. It did have small hands. Uh, Alex Smith, you see these guys. And they've been fine in the NFL. So this doesn't really seem like one of those years where we, at least to me at this point, it doesn't seem like we're going to have teams trading up. 
to try to to try to pick one of these quarterbacks early. Like like it doesn't seem like one of those years where we're scrambling. It's not an Andrew Luck, Robert yeah. Griffin situation where team where teams are like so sold on these quarterbacks that they are willing to sacrifice their future to try to trade up and get these guys. What Honestly, think? I think the RG three trade kind of scares some teams back. Back then, RG three trade. The Redskins traded three first-round draft picks uh-huh. for RG3, and obviously it didn't work out, and that really set them back yeah. a couple years. Um, also, RG3 and Andrew Luck were much higher-rated prospects than either of these quarterbacks. However, I do think three quarterbacks will probably go in the first round. Your Wentz and Goff will guaranteed to go in the first round, and then I think Paxton Lynch from Memphis yeah, will go in the Paxton first round. Lynch. I was say and that. I think those three will go in the first round. And I guess to sum up, we'll get into much more details as we get closer to the NFL draft. But this is a defensive-loaded draft. And it's going to be really interesting to see where these pieces fall, how teams select, and if there's any trades that end up happening. So we'll f- continue this coverage here. Oh, I want you to break down. Be- be- before we're done, I want you to talk about two of my favorite players in this draft and tell me your opinion on them. My first one, Jalen Ramsey. Freak. He's a freak athlete. He's not. It's pretty incredible if you're going to be drafted in the top five and they don't even know if you're going to play safety or corner. That's whatever he wants, right? It's pretty incredible. I mean, he's got long arms, big, 6'2, 6'3. The great off the field team leadership, everything. And then he's in the play for. He's a game changer. Yeah, he's in play for number one overall pick. However, it makes me a little nervous. They're not sure what position he's going to play. I mean, that's kind of interesting. However, I mean, all his measurables are off the charts. He ran a, he ran a 4-4. Um, he's quick, long arms, can jam at the line, and he could be a total difference maker in the sec- in the secondary. This seems to me like one of those situations where he might be a tweener. They don't know what which position he's going to play exactly, but it's actually one of those positions where he's so strong that he could play either position and play it really well. So That's what every team's hoping, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who's your other player? Laramie Tunsil. I'm a big I'm a big advocate for improving your offensive line, and this guy just looks like a total beast. Well, Larry, Larry Tunsil is most likely going to be the number one overall pick. He is an offensive tackle out of Ole Miss. People are telling are saying that he's the best, one of the best offensive line prospects in a while, and you could throw him in there in the next ten years. He's going to start at you at left tackle. And for the Tennessee Titans, drafting number one over, number one, they just drafted Mariota last year, um, solidifying that left tackle is a must, and this could be a great pick and. I mean, he moves his feet great. These guys are freaks of nature. These guys are 330 pounds, 6'5", and move their feet like a ballerina. It's literally incredible what these guys can do. They're so athletic that I don't think people quite understand what these guys can do. And he looks he looks to par. It's, it's a little nerve-wracking, though, because, I mean, Eric Fisher and Jake Locker, the not Jake Locker, the quarterback, but the Luke Jogel, the other offensive tackles that were drafted like top three overall the past couple of years – Really have struggled, so it's it's very interesting. I just want to add a side note in here. Maybe we should not judge Robert Kimdichie too much on this uh, illegal substance balcony issue. I myself had a uh, balcony, maybe illegal substance issue when I was younger, throwing up off of a balcony. <laughs> illegal substances may have, may or not been involved. But, um, Do we have another it, teammate flashback? I mean, it, it's, no, no, but it, but it's worked out for me. I, I mean, look where I am now in my mid-20s doing a podcast <laughs> with my friends. So, so don't judge Kim Dichie too much on this balcony thing. That was our weekly 
rundown on what's going on with the NFL draft. We'll, we'll cover it more as we get closer to it. We're taking a break. All right, all right, all right. We're back, Rain Time Riot Podcast. This is Bob Show speaking. Uh, we're going to close out today's show by talk, breaking down a little bit about the NBA playoff race. Matt, I'm passing it to you. All right, so there's not too many games left in the NBA season we're looking at right now. We're looking around four to five games for teams, and so the playoff race is really coming to form. However, there's a lot of really close races still. As I'll focus on the Eastern Conference right now. You have, of course, the Cleveland Cavaliers sitting at one. You have the Toronto Raptors sitting at two, and those two are fine. Those are locked in place. However, the 3-4-5 matchup is really intriguing. Only half game separates all three of the teams. You have Atlanta, Boston, and Miami. And they're separated by half a game. And getting that three spot's huge, though. You get home court advantage, and you get to play... By record standpoint, a weaker opponent in the first round, whereas the 4-5 matchup, you play the 4-5, so you uh, have to play one of these other teams that have a good record. So I think that's really interesting. It's Atlanta, Boston, Miami. I feel like Miami has the most talent, however Boston might play the best team ball, or Atlanta plays team ball too. So it's really interesting who's going to get It's an interesting dynamic there. I I really do think that three-seed is important because obviously – in the Eastern Conference, you want to put off playing LeBron James as far as possible. So if you get a two or a three seed, you're not likely to meet up with them until the conference finals. Uh, I mean, granted, any playoff series, anything can happen. We've seen a lot of upsets, uh, bad, bad chemistry issues. And I, I think those three teams, you are looking at Miami Heat. They got Hall of Fame players on their roster. They have so much experience. They, they just picked up Joe Johnson who uh, is a big-time contributor for them. they got star center, Dwayne Wade, one of the best shooting guards of all time, Goran Dragic. Chris Bosh Tal- is still Talent-wise, those other teams do not have the star power. But we're, but honestly, they're my le- the Heat of the three of them are my least favorite team. I feel like they will not achieve the same level of success, not because of any one thing. I think the other teams just play better team basketball. The Hawks... I feel like I've been a model for unselfishness over the last few years. They uh, a lot of really talented veterans. Kyle Korver, one of the most efficient scorers in the league. Al Horford, Paul Millsap, one of the most underrated players in the league, averaging more steals than any other post player. Um, again, incredible what he's able to accomplish and how much he's improved throughout the course of his career. And uh, we might be leaving out their best player, Jeff Teague. Sure, I, I really like that team. I love the grid of the Boston Celtics. Isaiah Thomas is playing. Well, he was an All Star this year, but he's playing great after the All Star break. He is leading that team. He deserves to be an All Star. Yeah, he's being All Star. Playing great. He had like over twenty straight games of over twenty points a game. So much grit on that team with Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder. The way they, the way those guys get into the other team on defense. Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder. Avery Bradley is probably the best on-ball guard defender in the NBA, but Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder are not afraid to match up with anyone. They get into everyone's face and get in their head. They, I mean, they beat the Warriors. They, they beat, just the Warriors beat the Warriors. I think it's Golden a bad State. matchup for the Warriors. What well, is? Because their guards are so good at playing. Granted, Boston won't shoot that good in any game. They shot incredible. But yeah, I think it's really. I think you have to look at Brad Stevens, the coach of the Boston Celtics, and he is obviously one of the most intriguing best young coaches in the NBA right now. He's, what he's doing for that team is remarkable. 
I have not seen a coach come in with this little experience and get this much praise from his peers. Popovich, uh, Carlisle, Spolstra, these guys all saying great things about Stevens consistently. And I, I feel like, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a bold statement, maybe it's not. If I had to pick one team to up, upset Cleveland and make it to uh, the finals this year out of the East, Boston's my choice. I mean, who knows when it gets to that series, you have, uh, you have the Olenek-Kevin Love matchup again. Yeah, and, and Olenek uh, broke Kevin Love's shoulder last year. Was it some type of Krav Maga super move dislocated his shoulder? You, you got to question whether Olenek is actually a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. I have never questioned that in my life. That's what Kevin Love questioned it. He said, he said it was Kevin, some, Yeah, Kevin Love thinks it was done on purpose. He said it was yeah. some sort of Bush League dis, dislocate the Do you need to be a black belt shoulder. in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu to do that? Can you do that? I don't know. You just hold the elbow and pull the arm. Maybe I don't know. I, I feel like I would be completely lost if I was trying to pull that guy's arm out of his well, socket. seven foot t- or close seven footer, so I'd have a hard time too. But. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I don't feel like I've ever seen an event where somebody tried to pull someone else's arm out of their socket and succeeded. Unless, I, unless I saw it with the Kelly Olynyk thing, it looked pretty masterful. <sighs> All right, Maybe. Bob, you got that one. But I'm gonna go to your comment. I think Toronto still has the best shot to beat Cleveland over Boston. Toronto has two surefire all-stars on their team in their backcourt with DeRozan and Lowry, who are playing great this year. And if they can just get anything out of their front court, I think they could compete and shoot their way, and they have a great home court advantage. However, Cleveland's still the heavy favorite. And to sum up the rest of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, you have Indiana, Detroit, and Chicago all fighting for the 7-8 seed. And the Pistons haven't made the playoffs in a long time. It's really intriguing. And uh, Bobby's a big Pistons fan, so he's... I love what my man Stan is doing in Detroit. Seems like uh, taking some unconventional ways to improve the team. Kind of get, getting in guys that he believes in, regardless of how they're doing currently, regardless of their current situation. He's getting, he's getting the guys he wants, and he's building a playoff caliber team. It's excellent stuff. No one believed uh, it was a good idea to get Reggie Jackson and give him the money. I mean, I mean, we gave up we gave up a couple good players for him, and then we also gave him a contract. It was like one of the most criticized moves around the league in free agency this year. But then uh, this year he was uh, not at not at an All Star level, but he was pretty close to being an All Star reserve. He was He's averaging over eighteen points a game. Yeah, eight, eighteen point. He, he was he was playing really well. He was almost like borderline All Star. Then uh, we plucked Tobias Harris, who's had some big years in the past, never on, a, never on a good team. We picked him for a couple of expiring veteran contracts in a year when he's having a down year. Almost automatically, he gets to our team. His averages go up. His efficiency goes up. His attitude is a 6'10", skilled 6'10 player. I mean, you don't find those very often. And athletic is all hell, man. Defensively, offensively. We're, we got a lot of versatility, a lot of, def, a lot of defense. I wish uh, – I mean, I love Andre Drummond to death. I've been a huge fan of him since the kid was like 15 years old So I watched a lot of high school basketball. But – No, keep going, keep going. What's your problem? What, <laughs> no, it's funny. Well, keep going. I watch high school basketball. My, my problem with Andre Drummond is it seems like – the dude cannot figure out an efficient post move. Like, he's the strongest guy in the league by far, but he can't figure out how to drop step and make a move to the basket. 
using his momentum to go up strong. He's shooting all these goofy fadeaways that he doesn't have the touch for. And then also shooting like 40%. He's the worst statistically free throw shooter in NBA history. We've, We've argued the point. Is Drummond could be the most overrated player... But he's the best I, rebounder in the in the league too. He yeah. is probably the best rebounding player in the league. I mean, statistically, it shows like his rebounding percentages and his rebounding just numbers outright are pretty incredible. But it seems like we're trying to run like a Dwight Howard in Orlando offense through him, and he's just not the passer and not the offensive player. Which is which is not saying too much because I mean Dwight Howard is an extremely talented basketball player, but that was always a weak point in his game was that his post moves weren't really as great as they could be, you know. And yeah. now we're looking at Andre Drummond, who uh, just sometimes he seems lost. He can't get his footing right or something like that. I think uh, give Drummond one more year. If he has no improvement next year, then you have to start changing things like around their offensive scheme. I think you have to keep him. Oh, of course you keep him. You change your offensive scheme. I mean, he has to uh, show some improvement next year. He's still super young. Yeah. But as a Detroit fan, my my expectations are just high. Like, I, I try to think about it like. I love Drummond. I'm so stoked he's on our team. I'm glad that we're about to tie him up to a max contract and he's going to be there for the next five, six years at least. But I also feel like having expectations on your players, like like I want I want him to be a superstar. I want him to be Detroit's LeBron James. I want I want him I want to be able to say like he's messing up in this situation and he needs to improve. I don't want I don't want the whole he's young. He'll improve next year. Like we're about to make the playoffs this year. I agree. I mean, he's he improved this year from last year. You got to give him that. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and I think I think the they freed up the court for him. It was awesome. Yeah. So I think to sum up the East real quick, I think just one last topic topic to touch on real quick is the Chicago Bulls. I mean, they're a historic team, and they had a lot of talent. You think, right? You have Derrick Rose, Pau Gasol, a lot of Butler, Butler, an All Star there, and they're right now on the outside looking in the playoff picture. They're right there. Um, in the mix, but they're two games back of the eight seed right now. I think it's really interesting that uh, they're stumbling. What are your thoughts, Thomas? Well, we to be fair, Jimmy Butler was out for a significant amount of time, and he is probably their best player. Um, my, I would say so. My initial thought, though, is, man, did the Bulls mess up by firing Tom uh, Thibodeau? Because it's pretty much the same nucleus, and they have regressed. So, I mean, that's a tough. Uh, that's a tough situation, man. Thibodeau's running his guys into the ground. Like I feel like he couldn't figure out a rotation. But at the same time, he's probably the best defensive coach in the league. He's putting together just like impenetrable units that are stopping tons of guys, uh, utilizing. Uh, the versatility of Joe Kim Noah, uh, Taj Gibson, different idea. It, but obviously the success isn't there. There's like no question in my mind if Thibodeau is the coach of that team, they're in that race for the third pick this year. I mean for the third, not the third pick, the third seat. spot. Yeah, yeah, the third seat. And right now with Fred Hoiberg as the coach. They're closer to getting the third pick. Yeah, closer to getting the third pick than the – Definitely the third seed, so that's yeah. a, that's unfortunate. So I have an interesting thing. I hope I, this, I don't know if this is bringing too long of a topic, but I think this is really interesting. I think is it possible to? I'm a big 49ers fan. 
Is it possible to compare the Tom Thibodeau coaching situation to the Harbaugh situation with the 49ers? Where Thibodeau did not get along with the front offense in any way. They hated each other. Harbaugh didn't get along with the front offense in the 49ers. However, their numbers speak for themselves. They were really, really good coaches. They yeah, extremely good. They were made the playoffs right away. They changed the culture of that team, and they had a structured team that always competed and played well. However, they didn't get along with their ownership, and they don't get along with their GMs and owner. And what happens? They both get fired, and both teams take a serious step back their year after they got fired. And I think it's really intriguing. I think you can can make some comparisons there. Well, so we're looking at a situation with Harbaugh where that seemed like it shook up everybody. Like, how, how many players retired for the 49ers? Yeah, but like, you guys had, pl- like, a 26-year-old linebacker retire. Chris, like, yeah, but Borland, you can't compare. It's not all Harbaugh. There's no way you could compare all these players retiring to Harbaugh. Justin Smith was I don't old. know how you could not compare. Like, how can you not draw So he's not Borland? the coach anymore, and they retire. So you think that maybe they retired because he's not the coach anymore? Exactly. That's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. Okay. I mean, there's a retirement. But a lot of them were injured. Patrick Willis, he said his toes, he can barely walk straight, walk very well anymore. Yeah. He played nine years. He was an all-pro. He shocked everybody retiring, but it was health. Justin Smith can't play retirement the year before. He's old as heck. One of the best linemen there was at that time, but he was still old. And then Anthony Davis, that was completely crazy. He said it was because of concussions. But he's coming back this year. He's already reinstated in the NFL, so he needs that paycheck. And then Chris Borland, he's – I don't want to get on that topic, but that's a whole other world. And he did his thing. So but I so think – So the, the only reason – I mean I, I, I do agree with your comparison and I think it's smart. I just think it's another level because uh, I don't understand football as well as I understand basketball admittedly. But I, I do watch it. I feel like I have a fair feel for the game. And when I'm watching Harbaugh, I feel like he is pretty much – top-of-the-line coach, like maybe the best coach in the league up there. Like this, this He's remarkable. He's yeah. absolutely incredible. His yeah. resume in, is one of the best coach. coaching resumes incredible coach. ever. Every program he's gone to, he's won not, not just one. He's run one right away. Every single program. The only problem is people say he's too intense. He's too intense, and he wears on obviously his bosses, and he wears on his players. So in this Tom instance... Tom Thibodeau... Is known as the same thing, right? He's too intense. He wears on his players by playing them too much. He wears on his front office, his, co- his bosses, the so same way. In this instance, I, I start to sympathize more with the Bulls' front office management than I do with the 49ers because it just feels like they weren't man enough to handle this guy. Like, like Harbaugh was the best. He's taken them to places that they haven't been in 20 years. And they gave up on him thinking that everything is going to be okay when really he's the reason they're having so much success. Thibodeau, similar situation, but there's just this obvious flaw you can point out with Thibodeau. Like Popovich said it the year, the year Duncan got injured. He's like, I'm, I'm not going to overplay my players. And he starts having success with everybody. The, the entire league is figuring out that you want to rest your players and not run them into the ground because the playoffs is when you need your players to be healthy. Thibodeau couldn't figure it out. Year after year, he's running his players into the ground until their knees are falling apart. And, uh, I mean, I, I, I love Thibodeau. There's, there's some teams that I feel like if they get a chance to sign him, they definitely should. Well, I want him to go to the, to the Timberwolves where they have all that talent, skill, potential, athleticism. I feel like they get Thibodeau next year, 
four or five seed in the West, which is a huge deal. Wow, that's incredible. I think I think it would be an incredible impact. I, I think Wiggins goes from a statistically subpar defender. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I think I think Thibodeau can do some incredible things with some incredible pl- with uh, with the talent that he has. But there was just an obvious point where you see this guy. This guy's got this flaw, and he's not figuring it out. And and on top of that, he's disagreeing with management. Probably. Yeah, that's a good point. I think. It's very interesting. Thomas, what are your what are your thoughts? Well, Thibodeau might be crushing people's bodies. Harbaugh is crushing Buckeyes on Bo Schembechler's grave with a hammer. <laughs> so I mean we have we have different things going on here with these coaches. Both great coaches. But um I wanna move here to the Western Conference and break that down a little bit. And it really does not matter, I think. Other than those top two spots, as we know, the Golden State Warriors and San Antonio Spurs have been absolutely dominating. And I don't think any of these other teams really have a shot, which brings up the point. It's been popular, a popular discussion topic anyway. Do we want the top four teams to be reseeded at the end and play? So... For instance, the Spurs and, and uh, Warriors would be on the opposite side of the bracket. Do we want everything to be, not just top four, I'm sorry, but the playoff teams to be reseeded in a different way so we have the best two teams, the for, foreseeably anyway, meeting in the finals. So we say You're that saying just get rid of the conferences? And yeah, just kind of yeah. just kind of have the playoffs right. or are we, similar to like or are we just in a rare scen- tournament? Or are we in a rare scenario right now where the best two teams are just – it's just one of those weird things. I feel like say. it's not a rare scenario. It happens all the time. Okay. Well, oh. as, as fans, do you think that would be more entertaining, seeing these top two teams in the finals rather than... I don't, I don't feel like there's any promise that the Spurs would get past the Cavaliers in that situation. I mean, there's no promises in basketball in general. We've seen uh, Matt is a diehard Warriors fan, and he initially became a Warriors fan. When uh, eight seed Warriors upset sixty seven win first seed Dallas Mavericks, Mavericks. Baron uh, Davis, right? But Baron that, that's Davis dunking on people. That's my point. This might be a rare scenario because these two teams are so remarkable compared to other years. I mean, we're talking about two of the greatest. See, I mean, these two teams are having some of the most historic seasons ever NBA history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think it's one of those anomalies. I mean, it's not going to always happen, and. I think them playing the Western Conference Finals is still really exciting. How many wins are the Spurs at right now? 64-12 and is their Spurs record. Okay, so they might get to 67 also then. 67-68, who knows? Yeah. they still got six games remaining. They could technically get to 70. Pretty damn impressive. But Pop isn't going to play his players. No. But they'll still win. He's (laughs) He's still going to win. Dial will get a triple-double. Pass to some guy we've never heard of before. What's what's the center? Boban Marjanovic, yeah. seven seven foot four. Might that guy's also be ridiculously big. He's he's second in the the league in player efficiency. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. Behind only Steph Curry. So, so my my argument with uh, breaking up breaking up the playoffs and and just turning it into the top sixteen seeds and having having them go at each other is I think. Uh, I think having the teams go at each, going at each other every year kind of builds rivalries, where you you got uh, 
the Spurs going against the Mavericks for so many years and the Lakers going against the Kings. Clippers-Warriors right now. Clippers-Warriors yeah. right now is huge, yeah. Uh, Thunder-Pistons. Thunder Clippers. Thunder. Yeah. It, it's just yeah. exciting to see these teams that have a lot of animosity for each other going at each other year after year and, and uh, kind of builds that. But there, there's also been rivalries. Like the best rivalry in basketball is Celtics-Lakers. And that is... That's known on meeting in the finals. Yeah, that's known on meeting. That was just because they were so historic and they were so dominant for year to year to year. I feel like... The entire history of the NBA, they've just been dominant. So that's a good point. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that sums up today's show. And I'd like to thank everybody for joining us. And have a good day.